0: And welcome to Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. We're your hosts, and I'm sending you to the flip side.
1: I'm Micah. And I'm Matsy, and I'm staying here. Uh, <laughs> last week we gave each other some cartoons to watch, review, and discuss, and we have done that, and we will do that a little later on. But first, Micah, what's been uh, going on with you this week?
0: Well, I'm thinking we got to... Tackle the hot button issue, and that's the new Space Jam.
1: Oh Lord, you're right. How did I not even think about that? Yeah, the censorship of Pepe Le Pew. I okay. I'll admit I have not heard much. Um, I've seen the censorship of Lola Bunny. um Ah, we'll we'll get there. But I haven't. Okay, go. Okay, go, go ahead. Tell me. Tell me about the Space Jam. Well. They're just removing
0: Pepe Le Pew altogether. Um, okay. They, they were going to have a scene where he was going to be lascivious and he was going to get a talking to that that's just not acceptable. All right. And then they figured okay. that, that, that that was just all too much anyway. It was safer just to get rid of him.
1: Yeah, I, I guess I hadn't really thought of it, but I guess, you know, of the many problematic things in old cartoons peppy lepew probably is one of them isn't he
0: oh yeah yeah <laughs> i mean before this we all kind of knew it. it was you know if if we were discussing peppy lepew it'd be like well he is uh, a little creepy, you know
1: yeah i guess i just never think about peppy lepew
0: <laughs> right and i think that's yeah. the point that he just doesn't matter
1: yeah no you're you know it's it's interesting that you mention this because it's it's making it's all just it's not something that i need to be educated on it's just kind of something i hadn't thought about and as soon as you say it i'm like oh right yeah yeah good call
0: yeah i'm not sure he has any lines in the first space
1: jam (laughs) oh i barely remember the only i think the only line from, from the first space jam i remember is when um Bill Murray comes out and says, like, something like, does somebody need a referee or something like that? And the, uh, the boss alien voice fight Danny Adivino says, hey, I didn't know Dan Aykroyd was in this picture. Hey, that's a funny joke in Space Jam.
0: It is. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, so you mentioned Lola Bunny, because that's yeah. an equal scandal that they flattened the- out her chest.
1: <sighs> yeah i uh, here's the thing and i know here's the thing i realize that there aren't a lot of female characters in looney tunes but this kind of i don't like how they introduced lola bunny as just oh here's here's the female bunny and ever since then, they've just kind of treated Lola like she's always been there. Like yeah. every time they make any type kind of Looney Tunes reboot, Lola is in there just like she's always been one of these beloved characters. And I mean, I get, you know, I get that there needs to be some more female characters in there because there really aren't in Looney Tunes. But the same, like it was like when they did, um, I think the first one I noticed it in was like a, looney tunes babies or some such yes and lola was in there and i was like why is lola there she's not what and and they just keep on bringing her every time they do looney tunes they bring in lola like you know she's this beloved 70 year old character and you know to her credit i in the i think it was the the new looney tunes show or whatever it was yeah uh, yeah. lola was in that and she was really good like, I I actually really liked that version of Lola Bunny. She was, like, arguably the best part of that show.
0: I haven't watched more than a handful of episodes of that show. Mm. But, yeah, she's a standout. And <laughs> I think the reason why is because she's nothing beforehand, right? Like, in Space Jam, she's just purely a sex object. Yes. Oh, it's it's a funny thing, right? Like, you'd think uh, Bugs Bunny would be one of the most common impressions, right? Yeah, but in every iteration, he just sounds terrible to me. Maybe it's like <sighs> a compromise. It's a it's a compromise of finding a person who can act and someone who can do the
1: voice. Yeah, I mean, Bugs Bunny was Mel Blanc, and once yeah. he died, it was like I was actually surprised um, a couple of years ago when I learned that Billy West was the voice of Bugs Bunny in Space Jam. Huh? I was like, that's Billy West. Because, you know, I, in my mind, Billy West has like three voices that he can do. Right. Um, And I, I I had no problem with that Bugs Bunny voice. It's just that I guess Billy West is an expensive enough voice actor that you can't get him for the myriad things that Bugs Bunny is going to be in.
0: Well, like you said, though, Lolo is really great in the Looney Tunes show. And that's because she's not handcuffed by that stuff. They could uh, create a personality for her and a voice.
1: Yeah. And they made her insane. She's hilarious. Yeah.
0: Regarding back to space jam. I'm kind of of two minds on it, right? (laughs) Because space jam, uh, I'm sure there are people for whom this is nostalgic was part of their childhood. Right. But right. Space jam is terrible. (laughs) So, (laughs) uh, to me, the only value in watching Space Jam is that titillating rabbit. She's <laughs> <laughs> a terrible character, but then again, so okay. is everyone else. Like, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. Michael Jordan for everything he can do on a basketball court is not a good uh, narrative performer. And, and I was think- thinking that ah, oh, it's Michael Jordan's stuff. He's taking away from the Looney Tunes, and. Yet the Looney Tunes lack so much charisma in that it's like a Sophie's Choice. You know what actually would have been a better uh, Space Jam movie is if it starred uh, Bill Murray.
1: <laughs> You're saying that a movie with Bill Murray in a starring role would have been more enjoyable than one with Michael Jordan in a starring role. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, it sounds like a. I mean, it would still have been kind of bad, right?
1: But. Yeah. I mean, if they yeah, I mean, if if he's the best basketball player that the Looney Tunes could find, that's a pretty good. Yes.
0: Uh, yeah, that's my point. Right. And then, he, you know, it's played for laughs when he like tries to run a play and then Michael yeah. Jordan like overrules him. Yeah. It would have been funny had that been serious, you know, like, no, pass the ball, Michael.
1: <laughs> what if they um, what if it was a thing where they mistook? Michael Jordan actually was a very good basketball player. What if it was a thing where the Looney tunes needed something that Bill Murray was famous for acting like he could do, like catching ghosts. Like Uh, if there was like an infestation of ghosts. And so they got Bill Murray to help them catch the ghosts. And of course, Murray's like, I don't know how to catch ghosts.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Could do, could do. Yeah. Maybe, you know, the, the irony of me not liking space jam. Yeah. Is that is my jam, uh, <laughs> I have a yen for uh, cartoons that have sports episodes, you know, where uh, the characters that don't normally play sports are, like, for example, uh, the real Ghostbusters where they have to play a baseball game against spirits. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, or Dino Saucers playing football. For whatever <laughs> reason, I'm really into those episodes.
1: All right. Fair enough. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, you know, something else that I don't like about Space Jam, and this isn't just Space Jam. This can go into other places as well. Yeah. When they have cartoon characters that are known for being 2D cartoon characters and they make them three-dimensional. Oh, yeah. Like, that's not what they, that's not why we're here. You mean the
0: soft, the soft shadows on them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I guess. I mean, I guess it's not a huge, as huge. A deal because I mean you know Who and Roger Rabbit kind of pioneered that, but yeah. that was sort of the idea of you know they were 2d when they were in the cartoons, and then when they came into the real world, they're like, pop okay now we're 3d but I guess I don't the, know uh,
0: the new space jam is causing some anxiety because at some point, and I would bet for most of the movie, the uh, Looney Tunes characters will be cG. <sighs>
1: Oh, you know what? That might actually be what I was thinking of here because that's something that I hate even more is when they take... because And they do that a lot nowadays is make 2D characters... Because computer animation is so cheap right. um, and easy to do. Things like, you know, like in the 90s when they were first experimenting with computer animation, it was it was just a, an epidemic. Like, I remember turning on TV once and there was this um, computer animated Popeye movie. And like, oh, yeah. think about the proportions of Popeye characters and trying to make them into these like three dimensional sculptures. Boy, does that not work? Like if they could use, com- and, and they do, like there's a lot of shows now, like that are like the Simpsons is computer animated. Um, It's just made to look three dimensional Uh, or, or uh, two dimensional rather. Um, And that's fine. Like, you know, you don't need to spend three months having koreans color things in anymore i don't think it's as good though
0: yeah it loses something like those uh season three episodes are funnier to look at
1: yeah it's true there's i mean we talked about the decline of the simpsons last time but yeah yep it's a recurring theme yeah 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 Speaking of which, that actually rolls nicely into what I wanted to to, uh, talk to you about, Mm because you're not going to be enthusiastic about this, but (laughs) it's your job. It's your job to listen to me talk about cartoons. I want to talk to somebody about The Great North. The Great North. The Great North is the latest addition to Fox's Sunday night animation lineup. Um. It is, it is not from the creators of, but it has gone through the filter of the production and writing team that makes Bob's Burgers. So it it kind of looks like Bob's Burgers and it's executive produced by Lauren Bouchard. And it has the same kind of writing philosophy to some extent and, and production look and everything, but it's created by someone different, a couple of sisters, I believe. I wish I had their names, but I don't. Um, and it's a series about a... Single father in rural Alaska, um, and so it's kind of like you know, King of the Hill is sort of somewhat about life in Texas. Correct. Yeah. Uh, this is sort of about life in Alaska, and All it right. is it's it's fairly interesting. I find. Um, it is the the main character is Beef Tobin, uh, okay. who is played by Nick Offerman. Who ah. who would be best known as Ron Swanson in Parks and Recreation, yeah. um, and he is the ma- uh, the the patriarch rather the mother left of yeah. um, an, uh the rest of the family which is the main one is the uh sixteen year old daughter Judy, uh who is played by Jenny Slate now Jenny Slate is one of my favorite voice actors and I am just so happy that she has a starring role. Because she has been a secondary character in a bunch of things, and she's always a highlight. Um, mm-hmm. Most people would know her best probably as Tammy in Bob's Burgers, the kind of mean blonde girl in school. Right. Um, she was also. By the hun- way, Sorry? Yeah, it's the uh,
0: Molyneux sisters. Oh, yeah, thank you.
1: Thank yep. you. Um, she was also Huntress Wizard in Adventure Time. She mm. was. Princess Ponyhead in Star vs. the Forces of Evil. Oh, ah, okay. And if I'm not mistaken, she was Ms. Bellwether, the sheep, in Zootopia. And hmm. so this is her in a starring role. And she's <laughs> she's kind of an awkward teenager, very artistic. Um, there's another voice actor who I love, uh, Aparna Nanchurla. Now. Yeah she hasn't been in a lot she'd be best known as Hollyhock in bojack horseman um i don't know if you've watched bojack horseman but some people have i have i think it's great or some and um and yeah so she's she plays uh the youngest son moon who is he's sort of like he's 10 years old but he's really mature 10 years old mm-hmm. um he constantly wears a bear costume which Makes you immediately think of Louise from Bob's Burgers, but he's not, he's a little, he's kind of dark, but not that chaotic. And, and I just love Aparna Nenshola's voice. I'm glad she's getting some work. Uh, there's another son, Ham, uh, who's played by Paul Rust. Um, okay. He hasn't really been in anything that I'm aware of. Um, he's, he's kind of the dumb character, but he's not actually dumb. He's just the one who can kind of be oblivious sometimes. Um, the first episode sets up that he's gay, although that hasn't actually been a plot point at all since then. Um, he is a baker though. He, um, there was a baker in town and who retired and he's kind of taken over. Um, and then there's the oldest son, Wolf, who is played by Will Forte. Will Forte. I believe he was in Saturday Night Live. Um, but in in a cartoon context, he was, um abraham lincoln in clone high (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah he's the oldest son wolf um who is engaged to a woman who has moved to alaska from fresno california a black woman named honeybee who is played by dulce sloan who hasn't really done anything of note um i think my primary complaint about the show is the character design of honeybee because she is a stereotypical black woman who is so stereotypical that black women in media don't actually look like that anymore because everyone knows it's so stereotypical they don't do it. If I, if that makes sense. like I'm
0: looking at her right now.
1: Like she's got the afro. She's got just a gigantic butt. <laughs> like, like the tremendous size of her butt. Like it just stands out every time she's on screen. I'm like, did you man I don't know. Anyway, um it's it's only been going since the beginning of the year, um and it's I I guess production has been kind of affected by COVID, I'm assuming, because all of Fox's animated shows are coming out at a real trickle. They're not coming every week. They'll come, like, a couple of weeks, and then they'll go on a few-week hiatus and then come back. Um, Bob's Burgers just recently did a uh, Valentine's Day episode followed by a second Christmas episode.
0: It's eye-opener for me not having television.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. Um... But anyway, yeah, this, um, I think this show is pretty, oh, another main character in this show is Judy's imaginary friend, Alanis Morissette, who's played by Alanis Morissette, um, which is pretty great. It's just like this, this like Aurora Borealis, Alanis Morissette, oh my God, Aurora Borealis Alanis Morissette, (laughs) which is remarkably hard to say. Yeah. Um... Who just appears in the sky and gives Judy advice.
0: Um, I think this is only a problem for you because I'm looking for her butt and I cannot find it. <laughs> try looking. Try See if you can find an image of her from the side. I can't. The best I have is her sitting down.
1: Hmm. Well, trust me, it's there. You know, I
0: think this is something for our celery stalkers. Yeah. They need to uh, flood our Twitters with Honeybee's butt. oh boy okay well (laughs) all right I think we uh, ought to move on here all right
1: yeah anyway it's it's a pretty good show
0: okay the great north on Fox
1: right or you know wherever I mean since it is Fox it might be on Disney plus as well Oh, okay I don't know I, I think this show is all right I think it's worth looking at there was an episode about curling wow Yeah. I'll just have to see it in order to to put it in
0: perspective. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's move on to uh, um, last week. Mm -hmm. I gave you episodes of Inspector Gadget
1: Season 2. Yeah, and the Season 2 part is important here. See, Mm. I have seen a lot of Inspector Gadget throughout the, I don't know, 30 years since it came out. And Mm -hmm. my impression was, that every episode of Inspector Gadget was the same. Apparently I've never seen any episodes from season two because I was immediately shocked at how different it was from season one. Um, Mm. my, so my impression, okay, Inspector Gadget, this is my impression of an Inspector Gadget episode. Gadget gets a message that mad agents are near where he is and he has to go and stop them from doing something. Uh, His niece, Penny, and their dog, Brain, are going to help. Penny sends Brain to keep an eye on Gadget while she does investigating on her own. Gadget goes out, usually finds the mad agent, but doesn't realize they're a mad agent, um, enlists their help, often gets lured into a trap. Brain will follow him around in various costumes, which Gadget finds suspicious and starts chasing him instead. Penny goes behind the scenes, finds out what the mad agents are up to, gets captured, uses her computer book to escape and thwart the plan and call the police and everything comes tumbling to a conclusion where the mad agents are thwarted and gadget gets the credit for it. That's every episode of inspector gadget in my mind until a week ago, because season two does not follow that formula. At least from the episodes that I saw, I only saw two, but I was like, wait a minute. Is there more to this? Um the first episode is called The Cape Man Cometh. And oh, let me let, oh. let me stop you. Yeah.
0: Um What would I be incorrect in thinking that people listening to this know what Inspector Gadget is? You know what? I was thinking about that. Um I probably should have madness. Okay,
1: okay. <laughs> let me let me take a step back. Yeah. Inspector Gadget is this guy played by Don Adams. Um, A cartoon voiced by Don Adams. Um, And he is a police inspector who is enhanced with a number of um, cyborg enhancements, which generally involve alternate modes of transportation or extending slash additional limbs. So Gadget, he has the ability, he can say like, go, go Gadget, arms, and his arms extend, or he can put skates on his foot or whatever. Um, He is... The police inspector whose main job is to stop a villainous organization called Mad, which is run by a villain known as Dr. Claw, who you only ever see his gauntleted hand and his cat, Mad Cat. Um, He doesn't really do anything except boss around um, lackeys. Generally, each episode will have one main villain that uh, Dr. Claw is bossing around. Um, Gadget has a niece. A girl named Penny who has a computer book, which is sort of an 80s laptop with, you know, the 80s style of computers can do anything. And their dog Brain, who is like, he's kind of an anthropomorphized dog to some extent um, in that he can, you know, walk around and operate things and communicate in barks and mime in such a way that people can understand him
0: right in the show he's sort of a remarkable dog i mean nobody calls attention to it but uh, no other animal acts like him
1: yeah and and so yeah so that's the premise of it and and like i said every episode as i said worked like i said it did Mm -hmm. so for this episode the cape man cometh um first thing i noticed they've got a new house in season two Mm -hmm. um i guess i'll get to specifics later but um Gadget is summoned to the Mint, where it is suspected that mad agents are going to steal the gold. I don't think that's how mints work, but whatever. Um, While he's speeding on his way there, and this is the first thing that surprised me, Penny sent Brain after Gadget, but didn't go herself. And I'm immediately like, wait a minute, how's she going to get captured if she doesn't go along? So already I'm intrigued, like, something's different here. While Gadget is speeding towards the scene of the alleged crime, he nearly runs over a doofus in a superhero costume on a bike who calls himself Corporal Cape Man, who idolizes the great Inspector Gadget and intends to be his assistant. Uh, Gadget is not interested in having a uh, partner, but Cape Man follows him to the mint anyway. And then some gadgety hijinks ensue where Gadget and Corporal Cape Man are both kind of oblivious as they try to figure out what's going on. And Brain, in various costumes, sneaks in and somewhat saves the day. Although I must say that in this case, the day was really saved by the Mad Agent's helicopter they were expecting not showing up. They're just, they're like, if if that helicopter, because they had the gold, they had Gadget captured, everything was set... All they needed was for that helicopter to show up, and instead the police showed up, um, because Penny had summoned them from her computer book at home. Yeah. And I'm waiting for the shoe to drop on this Cape Man character. I'm waiting for him to, uh, I guess, decide that he's too good for Gadget, or the Gadget's too bad for him, or something. Mm. And... Then I noticed that this mad agent plot was all wrapped up with seven minutes left in the show. And again, this is like, wait, this is different. What's going on? Why isn't this working like a normal Inspector Gadget episode? And the rest of the episode is devoted to Gadget adopting Cape Man as his partner and bringing him back to their new Gadget mansion, where... The 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 head mad agent, the ninja, was now um, told by Dr. Claw to go and assassinate Gadget at home. And mm. it's really just kind of a Home Alone style thing of the... Because Gadget's gadgets usually malfunction in some way. And this right. new house is full of these kind of gadgets that kind of almost work, but... If somebody is standing in the wrong place, they just end up chewed up in the gears of a machine, sort of. And so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay. And so that's what this is. It's the ninja kind of trying to get rid of Gadget in his house, but being utterly thwarted by the uh dangerous, helpful gadgets in the house. And so now I'm thinking okay, this episode is all about the Gadget house being shown off. And I'm still waiting for the point where Cape Man decides, you're crazy, I don't want to be with you, and runs away or something. But it never happens. And it turns out that Cape Man just stays with Gadget for the rest of the season. Yeah. What is this? I had never seen... <laughs> Who is this? What? What? This is why I think I've never seen a season two Inspector Gadget before, because I, apparently this cape man has been there since episode four, and I have never yeah. seen him. What the heck? Okay. Well, they, they changed things up? They did. And behind the scenes, um, the production of the show moved from Toronto to Los Angeles for this season. Um, some voice actors changed, most notably Penny. Uh, Penny's original voice actress was Cree summer who has always gotten steady voice acting work, but nothing super like she's not a superstar in the field. She would, she would be best known as Elmira from tiny tunes. She should be. Yeah. Like to me, she's
0: about darn near perfect. Whenever I hear
1: her, she's, um, there, she is in the assignment that I'm going to give you at the end of this episode. Cool, minor role, but still there. That was her first voice acting.
0: Yes, Inspector Gadget. She yeah. was the
1: daughter of the voice actor who did the chief. Oh, really? She's the
0: daughter of uh,
1: what's his name, Hennessy R- Ron Franks. I think it is. Like huh. I, I can't remember the name exactly, but um, but yeah, that's how. But um, for this season, she wasn't in it. Um, There's a different voice actress for Penny named Holly Berger, who I couldn't find any other credits for, probably because Mm. she's not very good. Um,
0: Definite downgrade.
1: Yeah. Penny is noticeably worse in this. And I wonder, like, I sort of wonder if Penny's role was downgraded in this season because they had... I'm wondering, did they know that they had a lesser voice actress and so they downgraded her role or did they not put as much effort into getting a good voice actress because they they had already downgraded it?
0: I think in episodes with Cape Man, there's just not a lot of attention to go around.
1: Yeah. Cape Man sort of, I was sort of thinking like, is he there to give someone for Gadget to talk to as opposed to just talking to himself?
0: because nah, he doesn't really
1: do anything. I mean, I've only seen 2 episodes. You may have seen more. But as far as I've seen, K-Man doesn't really do anything aside from be there for Gadget to talk to.
0: By the way, you're you're, you're correct. It is Don Franks is the the father of Cree Summer. Mm-hmm. Um but I think he only did uh Chief Quimby in one episode. Oh, okay. Yeah, the usual one is uh Dan Hennessy uh canadian uh voice work superstar hmm. who did
1: uh brave lion oh okay yeah i think yeah. the chief was actually maurice la marsh in season two
0: yeah yeah and it's almost <laughs> it's almost like a meeting of the canadian uh superstar voice acting trans uh transferring to the american superstar
1: mm, yeah kind
0: of but i Again, I think that Hennessy is a way better Chief Quimby.
1: I'd have to go back and listen because I was, I was mm. listening to, it was weird. I was listening to the chief's voice and thinking like, is Don Adams doing this voice too? But no, yeah. it turns out that just Maurice LaMarche does an excellent Don Adams. He's, uh, yes. he was Inspector yeah. Gadget, the live action Inspector Gadget in the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. And you couldn't tell, like he sounds exactly like Don Adams. In fact, apparently Maurice LaMarche did Inspector Gadget's voice in a few episodes where Don Adams wasn't available or needed to be dubbed over or something. Maurice LaMarche, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know, is a voice acting superstar. Who he's probably best known as the brain of Pinky and the Brain. Um, mm-hmm. but he's done a bunch of voices in Futurama and uh, The Critic and everything. He's he's one of the like big names in voice acting.
0: Yeah this this episode. I seem to remember it had a gag I thought was pretty funny at the beginning. Is this? Uh, does this one open with Gadget getting a shave? Yes. Oh, that was a funny gag. <laughs> <laughs> the, the... You're talking about his, 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 his uh, destructive gadget house <laughs> 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 that the robotic hands are shaving him, and he decides that it's going too slow, so he needs them to go faster. <laughs> 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 and uh, Penny and Brain are looking in horror, expecting the worst. <laughs>
1: And then he walks out without a scratch. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was pretty good. I was like, you know, to some extent I was like, well, that kind of went nowhere. But at the same time, (laughs) it's like a subversion of your expectations when, you know, you have hands that can't even dump a can of dog food into Brain's bowl properly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So what do you think about that episode then? overall i mean it's, I guess interesting is what. yes you put,
1: right? like i think that's the word for it like it's like immediately i'm like okay there's a whole half of inspector gadget that i have just never seen and i was very interested in watching the second episode that you gave me to see if this continued to see if because the second episode you gave me i think it was called gadget and the red rose yeah. and it was actually the last episode of the season and the series yeah now at this time, when you have a cartoon like this, you don't know for sure. You know, they don't; they didn't write, like, an entire season, like, start to finish, this is the end. Because um, it's in syndication, they can air out of order or who knows what'll happen. So it's not like, you know, they planned, like, this is the finale of Gadget. But, um, it was. And it was, I'm not gonna say it was good, but... I am going to say that compared, again, compared to my expectations of Inspector Gadget, it was completely different. It was it was very much like any other cartoon where you can't immediately expect what's going to happen. The mm-hmm. The plot is that uh, Dr. Claw apparently has cameras everywhere and can see Gadget and Caveman testing out a new Gadzooka, which is a... Weapon that shoots this sour cream that dissolves whatever it touches, um, and the opening of the episode is just Cape Man firing it everywhere and just destroying things, which is ridiculous. Uh, to the it's point, so funny. To the point that the chief, because the chief, when he gives gadget his message, he's always hiding somewhere, and in this instance, yeah. he's hiding in the target because he thought it would be the safest place to be. <laughs> Um, so Dr. Claus sees gadget with this weapon and decides that he needs his own special weapon and decides on a sort of machine gun device called the red rose, which was created by a villain named Spuds Malone way back. Or was it Malloy? No, it's Malone. It is Malone. Okay. So Spuds yeah. Malone. And then we go to a bad guy's retirement home. Where Spuds is living and is not interested in getting back into the business until the guy who runs the place, a guy named Less Renown, which is all right, um, reminds him that Gadget, a baby inspector Gadget, was the only witness to the St. Patrick's Day massacre that Spuds and the Red Rose perpetrated. And so with this in mind, Spuds decides that he does need to get rid of Gadget. And so he gets his two accomplices. One used to be named as Fingers, but is now Knuckles. And the other, what was the other guy's name? I don't remember it. Uh, don't recall. Feeny? Something. It, it's not important. He basically yeah. has these two thugs and he doesn't remember where he put the red rose. And so he and these two thugs go out to try to find it, go to his old haunts to try to find it. And gadget follows him around. Gadget and Cape Man, with uh, Brain following them, also try to f- find Spuds Malloy, Malone, Malloy. I've already mm-hmm. forgotten. Malone. 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 And his psychic apparently is Tater, like you said. Tater. That's right. Tater. Yes. <laughs> by the way, Spuds Malone, I should have mentioned, is a potato-themed villain. So, gadget and Cape Man, followed by Brain, sort of go on this similar wild MacGuffin chase of looking for Spuds Malone and the Red Rose. Well, Spuds Malone and his guys are looking for the Red Rose and Penny is doing her own research into the Red Rose. And it's a wild chase all over town. Um, Penny, of course, is the one who finds the Red Rose. And it turns out that the Red Rose is a sort of gatling gun device that flash rots potatoes, and shoots the <laughs> rancid remains as a projectile. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it it all, she, she rigs the device, the Red Rose, to jam and explode on whoever uses it, um, which eventually causes Spuds, Malone, and his crew to be thwarted. And, of course, she uses her computer book to call Chief Quimby, and the police come, and the day is... Basically saved when they cannot recover the red rose. The whole time, by the way, um, Cape Man has been firing the stupid gadzuga everywhere, destroying entire buildings. Now, to give that kind of a a synopsis of the episode doesn't sound like anything special, but compare it to the synopsis I gave of every other episode. And mm. you can see how this season is markedly different. Right? It's really fascinating. It's, I, there's this whole other side, this whole other half, literal half of Inspector Gadget that I was completely unaware existed.
0: You know what's funny in this episode? So, uh, they say Red Rose almost continuously through the episode. Yeah. Like, Spuds Malone keeps talking about his Red Rose. Yep. And uh, with all this buildup, uh, that the Gadzuka fires a sour cream based weapon. Yeah. And that the red rose fires potatoes. Yeah. I was expecting a literal collision between these weapons. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I was, I was expecting that perhaps they would make some sort of culinary masterpiece, you know, that everybody decides, Hey, this is delicious. You know, <laughs> and in my mind, you know, that I was, I was building my own hypothetical ending to it that, um, that Spuds Malone decides that he really, is better off going straight and being a chef now that he's discovered this alchemy between the Gadzuka and the Red Rose.
1: See, you're thinking about this in modern terms. Like, even in the 90s, that might have actually been the result of this episode. But the 80s, in a show like this, nobody cared. <laughs> like, like, like I said, this is different from other Inspector Gadget episodes, but it's not good and it's not coherent. Like, it's just a mess of people going all over the place and and gags left and right. But, yeah, like, there's, there's a lot that you could do with it. And have done, because I've looked this up, and apparently there have been, um... Okay, this is weird. This is something I want to talk about. Why is Inspector Gadget still revered? Because most cartoons that came out in the 80s either came and went with no fanfare... Or were designed to sell toys. Inspector Gadget was one of those also-rans that did not... You know, there was a toy line that came out based on it later, but it wasn't like it was there to sell the Inspector Gadget line of toys. It was like the Littles. You know, Rude Dog and the Dweebs. It was just this show (laughs) that they made. And for some reason, it has endured. And... I wonder how like why did this show not just disappear entertainment
0: novelty for me it's kind of like if you were to ask me the uh, most impactful cartoons of my youth I think I would uh, run like Masters of the Universe Transformers Mm -hmm. and then maybe I jump to real Ghostbusters
1: and so on and I forget about Inspector Gadget but it was pretty big. Well that's the thing like those other ones that you mentioned were all there to sell toys right inspector gadget wasn't and and for some reason i mean is it because the it has one of the best uh cartoon theme songs of all time oh my
0: goodness best uh incidental music too not bad not oh bad. Yeah, yeah yeah that it's beautiful mm-hmm. uh shuki levy and haim saban Mwah.
1: everybody knows the inspector gadget song um now, where I was going with this was that there have been other Inspector Gadget series since. Yeah. Um, have you seen any of them?
0: I have seen some of them, yeah. I
1: haven't seen the latest one, actually. I haven't either. I meant to. Apparently, it revolves around Penny. Mm. Uh, she is like 16 years old and training to be an agent in her own right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that I did catch a little bit of was Gadget and the Gadgetinis. Weird, right? Yeah. Um, I didn't understand it as I was watching it. And then I went and looked up the Wikipedia article on it, on the like concept of the show. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, oh, this is a sequel to Inspector Gadget, where he's been promoted to lieutenant. That's why it's called Gadget and the Gadgetinis, because he's Lieutenant Gadget now, not Inspector Gadget. Mm-hmm. And Brain has suffered a nervous breakdown and run away to live as a hermit. And so Penny has constructed two robot gadgets, uh, Fidget and Digit, the Gadgetinis, to fill the brain roll. It's interesting. It has neat character design. Gadget's trench coat is black, which seems wrong to me, and he's like a big triangle, but it's, you know, it, it, it's okay, and, and knowing that it's like, it knows that Inspector Gadget existed previously, and it's trying to be a sequel to that, I can respect that. Um... Mm. Yeah, it's. I. This. That's the thing that I find the most weird about this whole thing, other than the the fact that there's a second season of Inspector Gadget that's worthwhile, is the fact that Inspector Gadget survived when so many cartoons from the 80s that didn't have a toy line to back them up didn't.
0: I guess it's a testament to its purity. I guess. Regarding, like, so Matsy and I are uh, Canadians, mm. and I've. My theory on why we never saw season two is that, as you noted, uh, the voice recording was largely done for season one uh, by Nelvana, a Canadian animation company. Right. And as a result, uh, the show would have been heavily subsidized. So That's an uh,
1: excellent point.
0: Yes. So we saw season one. For years, I'm not exaggerating, for like a decade, they reran season one because it was cheap.
1: Oh, I literally never had an opportunity to see season two.
0: Right. Huh. And, and season two was like a flagship of Nickelodeon, if I recall correctly. Like that was a, a new kind of station, right? Mm. So, like, when I would go visit my grandparents in the States, I would see these weird Inspector Gadget episodes. <laughs> From my perspective back then, I thought like, oh, I can't wait till this comes up uh, till we get this
1: show. We just never did. Huh. Um, Can I tell you a little story about how I first learned about the existence of Inspector Gadget? Okay. I had a friend who was a little older than me. And he was telling me about this show Inspector Gadget. And I was going to come over to his house and watch it. And <laughs> the funny thing here is that I misunderstood his explanation of what Inspector Gadget was. And, you know, he's trying to explain like, oh, he, can, he has these gadgets, like he wants to look over a wall. He's says, go-go Gadget neck and his neck extends and whatever. And for some reason, I don't know if I was just wasn't paying attention or if he worded it weird or what, but I was under the impression that there was another person who would just randomly activate Gadget's gadgets, that they were not okay. controlled by him that he would just be walking along and some guy would yell out, go, go get your neck. And his neck would go. Wah! That
0: sounds like a good episode. It,
1: it, <laughs> it kind of does, doesn't it? Like it's a, it's a weird thought of, and I'm trying to think, it seems to me there was some kind of cartoon like that, where somebody, somebody has some superpowers that's controlled by someone else. I can't think of what it was. I don't know.
0: I, don't. I got, I've got a gadget story. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I'm, I'm a, little spazzy kid right Uh and i'm trying to describe uh the events of the show to my mother with no context Uh (laughs) uh-huh so i'm describing the opening credits (laughs) um (laughs) i'm describing that gadget comes up to a safe and opens it and chief quimby is there and that gadget reads the message slams the door shut on the safe and then chief quimby explodes inside and you remember there's a safe on top and it opens up and brain, the dog pokes his head out. Yes. So I said that uh, uh, there's so the chief gets locked in there's an explosion and then the top safe opens and brain comes out. <laughs> <laughs> My mom was disgusted.
1: <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I love the fact that that title sequence lingers on the safe until it explodes.
0: Yeah, like it, it just takes
1: the extra second to wait, and then just this flash from inside with a skeleton just boom. That's yeah, yeah. that's top quality humor right there. Oh man!
0: So th- this season two, um, uh, if you ask an American, I'm, I'm sure almost universally they hate. Hate Corporal Cape Man. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, they. he's uh, like a lightning rod, like Scrappy-Doo or Jar Jar Binks is.
1: Now that you mention it, I wonder if there are people listening to this who are like, what,
0: you don't know Cape Man? Oh, undoubtedly Americans. Pro- yeah, probably yeah, French yeah. too, but
1: uh, mm. eh, if French people listen to
0: this podcast.
1: Um, according to my statistics, I have seen one download from Mexico and one from Brazil. Huh. So for you Mexican and Brazilian listeners, hi, hola, whatever it is in Portuguese. <laughs> yeah.
0: So like, like I don't think Cape Man is great. But no, I think that people kind of focus on him for overall a season that is not as good as the first. Um, mm. But for all that it isn't, I, I do laud them for trying new things. Yes. Okay, so uh, you gave me The classic Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. Yes. And, you know, we have a roundabout theme in that both of these shows were produced by Jean Chalopin. I didn't notice that specifically. I noticed they were both by Deke. Mm. Well, I mean, most everything by Deke is, right? So. Yeah. Okay. Um, So the premise for Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling, I think most people know that Hulk Hogan is a wrestler. Uh, Hopefully. Yeah. Wrestling was big back in the day. I mean, it is now, but it was it was hitting the scene. No, it's not. No? Okay. No. Well, it, it was hitting the scene uh, back in the 80s. So this cartoon, in wrestling, there's good guys and bad guys. The good guys are called the faces, and the bad guys are the heels. And it divides uh, wrestlers of the day into two teams. So among the faces, or good guys, are Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, Captain Lou Albano, Wendy Richter, Superfly, Junkyard Dog, Hillbilly Jim, and Tito Santana. Big names in the day.
1: Yeah.
0: The heels are comprised of Rowdy Roddy Piper, Big John Studd, Mr. Fuji, Fabulous Moolah,
1: Nikolai Volkov, and The Iron Sheik. Also, sometimes Mean Gene Okerlund shows up as an announcer, and not in any of the episodes I gave you, which in retrospect was a mistake, but sometimes on the heel side, there's also Bobby the Brain Heenan. Right, right.
0: So, it's kind of funny that there's not actually – very seldomly is there any formal wrestling in the show. You know, earlier that I was saying that uh, one of my uh, strange predilections is cartoons where they play a sport – even though that's not what they usually do.
1: This is the reverse of that. (laughs) It is, isn't it? I just realized that as you're saying it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, So this is uh, athletes that do anything but wrestle. They they get into standard cartoon hijinks, and you just got to know that these guys are the good guys, and these guys are the bad guys. Although, frankly, (laughs) the line is blurry. The, The good guys are almost as destructive and anarchic as the bad guys in the show.
1: Kinda, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, like, my childhood favorites for the show, like, I was not a, a fan of wrestling, but even so, you know, I watched every cartoon that was on television. Um, sure. So, I liked Rowdy Roddy Piper, the leader of the heels, and, you know, I think I liked his, his kilt and his sporan, because, you know, I was a little kid and I had no, uh, I was not worldly, right? So this seemed pretty cool to me interesting yeah uh yeah and i liked junkyard dog i think part of that for those two guys is the rhythm of their names you know like rowdy roddy piper junkyard dog
1: yeah i mean their their real names are roderick tombs and sylvester ritter which doesn't quite roll off the tongue as well also i was thinking
0: that for junkyard dog uh between cartoons and children's movies the idea of a junkyard and as well, a junkyard dog was very strong in my mind. There was a strange mm. uh, frequency to seeing junkyards in these media.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's true.
0: Mm. How about yourself? Which of these uh, did you particularly like?
1: Um, I will say, first off, that I the first thing I noticed in this was that I hated Roddy Piper's voice ah. in this. It's voiced by Charlie Adler, who would be best known as Buster Bunny in Tiny Toons Later. And boy, do I try hard to reconcile it with Roddy Piper's actual voice. And boy, does it not work. That Actually, you know, Roddy Piper's voice in this is actually closer to Mr. Fuji's actual voice in a weird way. You know, I'm opposite of you, actually. And then, yeah? yeah, I
0: kind of like his voice in this. But seeing the Charlie, Charlie Adler credit mm-hmm. makes me very tentative. Because the vo- voice that he cultivated for Buster Bunny and cow from cow and chicken and a slew of uh, old lady characters. Every other character in cow and chicken. Yeah. I hate that voice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would cross my fingers when tiny Toons episodes came on, hoping that it was not a buster episode. And which is ironic because actually the buster episodes, you know, on average are going to be better. If buster's not in mm. it, it's going to be like an episode about little sneezer or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But here I like him I, I, I we can get into the 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 voices here because there's some notables in the cast. Mm-hmm. Um there are. Oh, the Hulk? He's voiced by Brad Garrett, the main man. Yeah. Yeah, the uh the older brother Robert in Everybody Loves Raymond. And tons
1: of Yeah, voices, tons. Yeah, it's weird cuz the thing about that voice is that it's So it's closer to Hulk Hogan, the man, Terry Bollea. It's closer to his actual speaking voice, but that's not what wrestling fans hear. They hear Hulk Hogan ranting and raving Mm. (laughs) and that's the, the voice doesn't match. It's, it's weird. Like they, like they did a great job of casting Hulk Hogan's real voice, but not a great job of casting his wrestling voice. I think
0: it's a credible stand-in, though. I think he's good. I think yeah, it's he's okay. good yeah. in this.
1: Yeah, the voices in general are pretty all right. I mean, Andre the Giant, the real man, was nearly incomprehensible <laughs> with just the his cavernous skull and his thick French accent. And they did an admirable job of making him listenable in this. So stalkers,
0: uh, for for our celery stalkers, if they've seen Princess Bride, that's Andre the Giant.
1: Mm yeah i mean hopefully everybody has seen i think andre the giant might be one of the most famous people in the world Hmm. um but maybe you haven't heard him talk right he his (laughs) there's a reason that they gave him a manager to talk for him but um i like i like james avery as the junkyard dog excellent um it's a little wolfman jack but then i went and looked up some junkyard dog promos yeah and that's actually kind of the way he talked yeah yeah uh james avery uh would go on to greater fame later as the Shredder in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Uncle Phil in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Um, I like Captain Lou Albano. Yeah? Like, I thought that was, like, that's that's a fine Captain Lou, which is weird because later Captain Lou himself would go on to voice Mario in the Super Mario Bros. Super Show.
0: You know, when I looked at the voice credits, all the wrestlers are credited for, like, one or two episodes. Hulk did
1: two and most of them did one. They show up in live action. Is that all? The, the live action buffers, you, you would have seen a couple of them. Oh, in yeah. The episodes I gave you. But they didn't because they were, they didn't do an episode. Because they before. were touring. Mm. Like they were, they were on tour constantly. They couldn't be expected to be in, I guess they were doing this in Toronto. Right, right.
0: Well, they, they did a good job with the voices they got though. I mean, you got like Pat Fraley as Hillbilly Jim. Uh, I'm sorry. Right, yeah. Well, he's, he's Krang, So mm. special place in a lot of people's hearts. Um, Oh, look at that, Shredder and Krang. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the uh, rock and wrestling connection. <laughs> um, I think uh, a fellow named Aaron Kincaid is pretty good as Iron Sheik as well. And uh, notable, yeah. Voices.
1: Iron Sheik is Iron Sheik has that Iron uh, that Andre the Giant syndrome, where he's almost incomprehensible in actual language. So, <laughs> you know.
0: Well, I was thinking about that. <laughs> I was thinking about how the character design for Hulk is. Uh, really flattering and it made me made me consider if uh you know why was this guy the face of wwf wrestling and it occurred to me that you didn't have your choice back then between athletes who were showmen because yeah you see those live action bumpers and it really does strike you that that yeah the iron sheik maybe can't talk so much right
1: (laughs) yeah so um the iron the the story here is that um the WWF WWF at first mm. um Vince McMahon Jr. bought the company from his father and decided to because at that time wrestling companies were sort of sequestered in their own little territories, their little areas of North America. And Vince McMahon decided that he was he was gonna buy the WWWF and take it Nationwide, Just break all the rules and absorb everybody. And the champion at the time was a rather bland wrestling man named Bob Backlund. Um, meanwhile, a different territory, the American Wrestling Association, had a guy called Hulk Hogan, who had kind of jumped out from the wrestling business by being in uh, the movie Rocky Three as Thunderlips. Oh. And... The owner of the AWA, Vern Gagne, was not happy about that. He's like, no, you shouldn't. Don't go make movies and dumb stuff like that. You're a wrestler. Be a wrestler. And Vince McMahon said, I'll take this guy. And you don't want him. I'll take him. And they they took him. And they put the title on him. And they changed from just these solid wrestling men to these flashy guys who couldn't wrestle great but could talk great, like Hulk Hogan, Mm. who looked big and strong and could talk like all kinds of madness and, and (laughs) rally people to their side. Yeah. And, and this show was part of it. It was like, this show was part of the merchandising push that Vince McMahon made in the eighties, uh, that eventually resulted in the WWF now WWE absorbing every other wrestling company in North America Mm. until it was the only one left. Interesting.
0: Yeah. The show itself, um, It's rock and wrestling. So you might wonder, like, where does that fit into there? Vaguely in the credits, it suggests that Cyndi Lauper was part of the conception of the premise.
1: Okay. Do you want me to explain Cyndi Lauper's relevance to this whole scenario? I think I know, but please uh, help me out here. Cyndi Lauper randomly met Lou Albano on an airplane once, and they struck up a friendship and she became a personality on – because she was a big pop star at the time. And she became a personality on WWF television. And this was just when MTV was coming in as well. And so Cindy Lauper kind of opened the door to the crossover between WWF wrestling and MTV. They call wow. it the Rock and Wrestling Connection. So she's kind of the reason that Vince McMahon sort of got his foot in the door and went – because, you know, there's like – WrestleMania one, there was like, I think, uh, Liberace was there. Um, Muhammad Ali, um, WrestleMania two, uh, there was a tag team match where one of the teams was managed by Ozzy Osbourne. Whack. Um, WrestleMania three, Alice Cooper was there with Jake, the snake Roberts. Um, like this was like Cindy Lauper opened the door for Vince McMahon to make a connection between the WWF and rock stars Weird. that helped him push the WWF into the mainstream. Well, within the context of the show,
0: it's got, it's got a pretty good soundtrack actually. It's all right. Yeah. It's credited to score productions, which <laughs> uh, I guess is like a conglomerate that'll just make music for your whatever, right? Your video game, your cartoon, your TV show. Mm. Um, okay. Okay. And some of them are sound-alikes for popular songs. <laughs> yeah. The one that sound-alikes to uh, Another One Bites the Dust sounds so much like it that I thought maybe
1: it was licensed. Um, I noticed that too, because here's the thing. At this time, nowadays, whenever a wrestler comes out to their wrestling match, they always have music.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: At this time, that was not common very few wrestlers had music and it was usually only the really popular ones. Mm. Junkyard Dog was one of the popular ones Mm. and he would come to the ring to another one bites the dust. That was his, that was his theme song. And so knowing that it makes perfect sense for him to be referencing that song as much as he does. Mm -hmm. But I had the same thought as you. I was like, did they license this? Because boy, that's like, the song, and I know that song is equated to the Junkyard Dog, but this is a different media.
0: Well, in another episode that you didn't have me review, um, that, that I watched on my own, they had uh, <laughs> something that kind of sounds like Beat It, but it's not as close as the Another One Bites oh, the weird. Dust. So I think that it just flew under the radar. Okay, so I, I should get to the, the actual plots of these episodes. Uh, they're broken up into two, ep- uh, two mini episodes, uh, each one. And the first one is Clean Gene, written by Larry Dottilio. So the premise in this one, uh, Mean Gene Okerlund, another great name, uh, he's <laughs> a reporter for the uh, uh, the WWF matches. He's going to go do a job at a wrestling match in Canada. So he can't clean his new house before he moves in. So Hulk and the rest of the good guys decide that they want to surprise him by cleaning it while he's away. But overhearing this, Roddy uh, Roddy Roddy Piper and the Heels want to sabotage their efforts. So this is kind of a weird episode to start with, because in this cartoon, Mean Gene has a gimmick where he will just show up out of nowhere and report (laughs) on whatever's going on as though it, it is a wrestling match. Yeah, I like that gimmick, actually. Yeah, He doesn't in this one, of course, because he has to be away though. So Uh, They go to this mansion and uh, they break in (laughs) um, using a uh, using junkyard dog skeleton key and they start to clean. uh, But the heels are the the bad guy wrestlers are hiding and sabotaging. Uh, So in one instance, Captain the Albano is skating around on scrub brushes um, like uh, strapped to his feet and the yeah. fabulous moolah trips him with a broom handle which makes him collide with Wendy Richter and break all the dishes at the sink and there's a series of these things uh Mr. Fuji tinkers with the vacuum so that he like puts into overdrive uh so that it it overinflates and blows
1: up not out of character for Mr. Fuji as i understand it um yeah apparently he was quite fond of practical jokes and um There is a story of him once paying a mechanic like $1,000 to go while some other wrestler was sleeping in a motel and remove the engine from his car.
0: I guess he was a heel in real life. (laughs) So, you know, uh, animation, uh, cartoons with a lot of characters will often have mistakes, right? Because the animators aren't big fans of the show, right? So, like Transformers is terrible for it, right? Where. The wrong characters are in places, the wrong colors, the wrong person speaks, and so on. So there's an animation mistake at this part in the episode where Hulk has a conference with everyone, uh-huh. and uh, Roddy, Roddy Piper, and Big John Studd are just standing in the group.
1: Oh man i I was like, how did this get by?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Clearly, like I said, the animators aren't fans of the show, right? They don't. They've got no clue,
1: and nobody along the production like just the phrase remarkably lazy came into my mind just that like that somebody would make that mistake and nobody else on the production line would care enough to a notice it or b go back and fix it like that was
0: just egregious i think the notice it might have happened <laughs>
1: mm. <laughs>
0: but the fix it didn't <laughs> yeah yeah i can imagine uh, yeah 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 there's there's this one more uh, sabotage where the iron sheikh Uh, fiddles with the floor buffer so that it flies out of control with Hogan uh, Hogan holding on Um, but it's destructive rampage hits the heels to revealing them and uh, that leads to a brouhaha where the chasing and the fighting further wrecks the home Uh, but the culmination is that Mean Gene gets back and they have the wrong house he told them the wrong number yep Yep. they wrecked the house Oh yeah. They wrecked the house of the chief of police, (laughs) which leads to an ending where, uh, the heels are kind of impotently running away from one guy. (laughs) So that was, that was the first half of this, this episode. And the second half was Andre's giant problem written by (laughs) Jeffrey Scott. Well, I looked up is considered one of animation's most acclaimed writers with over 600 scripts. Hmm. Um, with over 600, they can't all be gems. And I think this is one of them. Yeah. So the idea on this one is that Andre the Giant uh, receives a postcard from his mother or mamal in France. Mm. Uh, indicating that she's coming for a visit. Only one problem. He never told her that he's a wrestler.
1: Yeah, I guess this His mother doesn't realize that her son is the most famous wrestler in the world. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to move on to the, their plan to use the nearby bakery as a ruse that Andre the Giant is actually a French pastry baker.
1: Okay. I'll just pop in with my note here. Yeah. They never actually established that him being a wrestler would be a bad thing in his mother's eyes. Right. He says, "Oh, I never told her I'm a wrestler." Oh, no problem. We'll just come up with a different job for you.
0: Well, I should note this show works at a breakneck pace. <laughs> they have too much gorgeous animation to get to,
1: and too many good <laughs> jokes.
0: Right. So when there's an end, there's a joke to end a scene. There's already like a video transition, sending the screen <laughs> away in, into like, uh, into the distance and flipping off to the side, just as the joke is delivered. The wrestler that I think is the worst one on the show, Tito Santana. F- first off, his his outfit is lame, right? He's wearing a jacket, a shirt, and some athletic pants. Uh, to me, he looks like one of the gymnasts that accompanies Mr. T. He,
1: um, he, Tito Santana at that time was really boring. Um, if you want a good time, go look up what Tito Santana looked like in 1992 when the WWF changed his gimmick to a Mexican matador.
0: Ah. Bear with me, because I, I got to look at that. Huh. He, he looks equally bored. <laughs> he wasn't happy about that gimmick. Okay, well, in the show, his
1: gimmick is yelling, Arriba! That's his gimmick in, in wrestling, too. Oh, wow. <laughs> Pretty deep. He was in a tag team uh, with a, a Canadian guy named Rick Martel. And yeah. on their tights, Rick Martel would have a little... Maple leaf, mm-hmm. and Tito Santana would have a little sombrero <laughs> <laughs> on the butt. What? Yes, <laughs> like like just on the right butt cheek, just a little red sombrero.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, I, I bring it up because like I was telling you the, the the pace of the show where they they cut scenes often enough the uh, the frame is flipping out of view and you hear like arriba just as it goes away. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, they they go to the bakery and they end up bullying the baker into abandoning it. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, they're not good guys really. Okay, so H- Holt goes to the airport to pick up uh, Mamal, which is probably a bad idea since he's the most competent out of these <laughs> dopes. <laughs> so anyway, he he brings her there and, you know, as you might expect, uh, she's incredibly small to contrast against Andre's hugeness. That was pretty good. I like that. Yeah? I thought that was cute. In the background, uh, the other wrestlers are, you know, are, are working the scenes and they have rolls that are still cooking in the oven. So Captain Lou suggests that they serve tarts first. <laughs> um, and there's a conveyor belt that just has, well, they're not tarts, they're cupcakes, but... It's unloading cupcakes from, from outside a frame. So then we get that another one bites the dust sound alike. And, uh, Junkyard is, uh, putting the cherry on top of each of them. But, uh, what will we'll tie this back into Honeybee? <laughs> Junkyard's big butt accidentally <laughs> pulls the lever. <laughs> he makes the, which makes the conveyor belt super fast a la of I Love Lucy. Captain Lou goes to the end of it and tries to
1: eat them rather than let them fall on the floor. It's his gimmick in this whole cartoon is that he's just constantly eating. Right.
0: I don't know that he's solving the problem, but um, (laughs) Junkyard Dog passes him a baguette so that instead of eating them, he can play baseball with the cupcake tarts. (laughs) Uh, So that means he's launching cupcakes all over the place and hitting his uh, teammates, which uh, then prompts them to have an undisciplined food fight. Uh, And then it gets yet crazier because the rolls had too much yeast and they explode out of the oven as in like this aggressive expanding blob, which Superfly takes as a challenge and starts wrestling the dough. Hmm. And then I guess in pure pressure, everyone starts jumping in the dough and wrestling it. Uh, Everything's happening. A robber tries to stick up the bakery. (laughs) But unexpectedly, it's Andre's mama who overpowers and manhandles him. She reveals that she's been taking wrestling lessons back in France. So the fact that Andre was a wrestler wasn't a big deal after all.
1: Wah, wah.
0: So that episode ends with a live action segment that has uh, Hulk Hogan being interviewed by Mean Gene. Mm-hmm. The real live ones. It's weird, though. They preview the episode. Even though this uh, interstitial is at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And furthermore, they get the, uh, although they get the clean gene episode correct, they don't do Andre's giant problem. Instead, they cover one about a gorilla jewel thief and one about the Iron Sheik getting driving lessons.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Which I think was the next episode.
0: Ironically, that's one of the ones I remembered for like all time. Oh, really? The Iron Sheik's driving lessons. Yeah. But, yeah, it's really weird, right? And I think, like we were saying, that they probably saw animation errors and just said, ah, okay. <laughs> I think they, they said, oh, we recorded this already. Just throw it at the end. Whatever. It might be
1: that they changed the order of the episodes.
0: So this uh, second episode you gave me is from the second season.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> it uh, begins with The Art of Wrestling, written by Jeffrey Scott again. And the funny thing is, yeah. I remembered this one as well. Mm. Uh, right at the title card, I got a vision of Captain Lu Albano eating the fruit bowl used as a subject in a still life painting. <laughs> it struck me like, oh, I remember this one. Uh, so it begins uh, at the gym and the gang is painting, gussying up the gym, I guess. But hilariously, the Hulk is painting a dumbbell gray. <laughs> and andre the giant is painting the heavy bag with tan paint that's even funnier (laughs) oh it's great (laughs) it's one of those things that i wonder if that's like a storyboard gag where the script is not funny but the storyboard artist is like yeah yeah we're gonna punch this up (laughs) um so when we get into the plot proper wendy richter is taking fine art lessons and she manipulates uh, Hogan into modeling for the class because he is so easy. She just has to amu- uh, muse that maybe Roddy Piper would do it instead. So they, they go to this class and uh, the other wrestlers accompany Hogan and they lend their input to the other artists, which leads to their own personal sticks being gags, as well as them teasing Hogan for the toga he's wearing which Hulk Hogan equates to being in a dress. But every time he seems like he's going to quit, Wendy uh, threatens to use Roddy Piper, which is enough to make him competitive enough to, to keep on uh, modeling for the class. After Captain Lou eats the bowl of fruit, one of the better jokes is he helps out a painter. Uh, He like takes over the painting for that matter. Mm. And he's uh, as per his glutton persona is painting by using squeeze bottles of ketchup and other condiments. Mm-hmm. I expected the painting to be like of a hamburger or a hot dog or something, <laughs> <laughs> but it was actually a good portrait of Hulk Hogan. <laughs> that, that really actually made me laugh. Um,
1: <laughs> I have to say I was surprised by that too.
0: Yeah. He ruins it by putting a rubber band piercing in the cheek, just like he has.
1: <laughs> I couldn't believe that that bowl of fruit wasn't
0: wax. Oh, as a joke. Yeah. Yeah maybe it was <laughs> <a date> Anyway, <laughs> at the amateur art show, a patron offers Wendy $5,000 for her avant-garde painting of the Hulk, uh, of uh, Hulk Hogan. And that immediately gets all the faces to try to hawk their art. After that cartoon, there's a not so great live action segment with the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. <laughs> but then there's a live action music video. This is uh. Uh, it's like a crowd of wrestlers and musicians are bopping and singing land of 1000 dances. So that's the song that goes like, nah, na 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 nah. nah,
1: nah, nah. Like, and then yeah. like list
0: different dances. Uh, Cindy Lauper is in it, apparently in this uh, scene as her, uh, her wrestling persona, I guess.
1: I had a fun time kind of watching that and trying to see how many of the wrestlers I could name. You know, it's
0: funny. Cause like, I'm not a wrestling fan.
1: Yeah. And so I had a fun time supposing
0: which wrestlers I couldn't recognize as being represented in the cartoon.
1: <laughs> well, the most notable there would probably be the Macho Man, Randy Savage. No, I mean like ones that actually are in the cartoon, but I couldn't
0: connect oh, them. Oh, 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 okay. yeah. I
1: see.
0: So I understand this is recycled. It's like a shortened version from uh, the wrestling show of the time, Saturday's main event. Mm-hmm. So I, I watched the full version. And the highlights for me include Roddy, uh, Roddy, Roddy Piper mugging, Hulk is such a yo-yo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another bit where Hillbilly Jim is holding a pig in his arms and lamenting, I don't talk too good. The, the second cartoon is Blue Lagoon, uh, the Blue Lagoons, yeah. um, as in Lagoons, written by Larry D'Itilio. So, oh, this one actually starts off with the, the sound I like to beat it. Um, the Hulk is working out on, the, on a, uh, the beach when a storm starts, and he hears a cry for help coming from this dinky little boat. So he swims out to help them, and the, the person calling for help is the Iron Sheik. It's a wave sweeps them out to sea and then maroons them on a tropical island. They get down to the business of getting food and making shelter, uh, but the Iron Sheik's incompetence makes it so that Hulk has to rescue him from a snake. And then quicksand. But the ungrateful Sheik decides to divide the territory in half. Since he's still incompetent, though, he tries to put a hornet's nest in Hulk's stick and leaf tent. Because he's <laughs> jealous, right? Yeah. Uh, that backfires on him. He gets stung. He tries to then launch a rock from a bent tree. But it ends up springing back at him and making him fall off a cliff. What a boo! but then it rains so the iron sheik ends up having to beg hulk hogan to share his uh, shelter and food the next morning a boat comes on the horizon and uh hogan tries to light the signal fire but sheik takes the torch (laughs) and bumbles causing the torch to go out Actually, I really like his run cycle for this. In fact, I think the animation is uh, the best in this episode okay. of the four. Anyway, uh, they don't like the, si- the signal fire, but they're arguing as loud enough that the crew hears Any, <laughs> So uh, we jump to them back safe at the harbor, and Sheik is claiming that the opposite is true, that he's he was the hero on the island. But a pratfall later sees all of the heels tumble off the pier into the water
1: for um, no reason. Like the iron sheik fell, you know, I can understand yeah. him, but then if you watch what happens, like the other ones are just looking at him and all of a yes. sudden, as if struck from behind by an invisible force, they all just fall in.
0: Yeah. I know it, it's, it's weird, right? Yeah. Um, it doesn't translate whatever was meant. Yeah. And again, maybe nothing was meant. Maybe it was just like, I guess another screw it. They fall in. We got to make, 20 of these things. Yeah. So a uh, funny thing about this episode is that uh, you mentioned earlier that I've, I was looking at Gadget with a modern sensibility. Yeah. This kind of plot, you would think that two enemies,
1: Hulk and Sheik, were going to have to work together despite their differences. And, that, right? and they set that up. Like, you know, that's the first thing that Hulk said. You know, we have to work together.
0: Right. But the Iron Sheik in the end is just an irredeemable buffoon. Yeah. (laughs) And it's weird to me that it was kind of refreshing, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that the the other way would have seemed trite by today's standards.
1: Yeah. The kid with him, like, you know, learning lessons or whatever, like, you're not such a bad guy after all. Hulk has redeeming qualities. So I don't know. Like they would have learned a lesson.
0: Right. And that kind of furthers an observation I have about the show that it's devoid of morals. Yeah. Right. So Inspector Gadget tells you a safety lesson and He-Man tells you an ethical lesson. This show is just a bunch of crazy crap.
1: Yeah, um, that's the thing. Like the, the point of this whole cartoon was to make you go out and spend money on wrestling merchandise and wrestling tickets and watch wrestling. This was the 80s. It was all about merchandising. And this was just one more step in Vince McMahon's plan to get everybody to watch the WWF. Uh. Just before we go, one thing I want to make a quick mention of is over the last week as we've recorded this, uh, Jessica Walter passed away. Jessica Walter would be best known to a lot of people as uh, the matrix of the Bluth family in Arrested Development, but she also had a few notable cartoon roles. Um, She was BoJack Horseman's mother in BoJack Horseman. She was Mallory Archer in Archer, and... She was Meteora in Star vs. the Forces of Evil, which is one of the best season finales I think I've ever seen, that episode that she was in. I don't know if you've watched it, Micah, but man. I haven't seen that episode. Oh, so good. So good. Anyway, it's sad. She was she was really great. I, I loved her in all the things she was in, and it's a shame that she has uh, passed away. Our condolences... To her family and her friends and her fans. Good call out. Okay, well, time for your homework for next week. Uh, you had suggested to me by text that perhaps this time we should do things that are actually popular. Hmm. I can, I can d- get down with that. Um, I took some time to think and I came up with something that hopefully isn't too new. It's from the early 2000s. I'd like you to watch an episode. And it's an extra long episode. Of My Life as a Teenage Robot. Ah. Uh, specifically, the episode, it was one of those episodes that kind of aired as a movie. Mm-hmm. It's it's only an hour long. Um, it is called Escape from the Cluster. Hmm. Escape from
0: the Cluster, My Life as a Teenage Robot. That's right. Okay. By sheer coincidence, I saw a pin for My Life as a Teenage Robot today. Ah. Funny that. Cute character design.
1: We'll talk about that next time.
0: Okay. So I'm going to go even more modern and buck the classic animation aspect. Uh, I I, thought you were going to say Bucky O'Hara. No, no, that's not very modern. (laughs) Um, No, I I already showed you the mask uh, from the show. Uh, What I want you to do is watch the first three episodes of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I have never seen this. But the memes. The memes.
0: Oh, wow. I think you'll have a good time. Okay.
1: <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm open to it. I'll watch it.
0: Okay, so we have our assignments. Uh, with that, that does it for this week. Everybody, thank you for watching. Um, let us know how you feel about the show. You can find me
1: at... Drab Swatch on Twitter, and I'm at AC Matzy. And so that'll do it for us for this week. And until next time, remember to live by the Celery Stalker slogan. Arriba!